get ready to strap on your boots. I'm your host, Jason Sherman. In today's episode, I have a special guest for my startup journey series. Her name is Rachel Richards. She's a finance expert and author. Her website, which I love the name, moneyhoneyrachel.com. So check it out. Thanks for coming today, Rachel. Yes, thanks, Jason, for having me. No problem. And I see some books behind you, and I noticed that you are into passive income and you know achieving financial success and whatnot. What was the first moment that you realized you could go into business full time doing what you do? Like, what was the catalyst? It was probably after I I wrote my first book, Money Honey, and it took off. So the reason I wrote it in the first place is because I'm a former financial advisor. So when I was 22, 23 years old, all my family and friends started to come to me for financial advice. And that's what I'm the most passionate about. I love to help people with that. I also began to wonder, well, why aren't they, you know, learning on their own or reading books? And then I had this aha moment where I realized, oh yeah, that's because personal finance is boring, right? It's complex. It's intimidating. It's overwhelming. No wonder people don't like to learn about it. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. It seems like when you say it's boring, like I notice a lot of people who talk about finance on YouTube, for example, it's a lot of spreadsheets and budgeting and like formulas and macros and things like that. So I'd love to hear how you made it more fun. It's just about speaking in a really casual conversational tone, in my opinion, you know, adding in anecdotes and funny stories. And I make references to, you know, popular TV shows and hashtags that millennials and Gen Z would use. So a lot of the feedback I've gotten from Money Honey is that it feels like they're sitting down and having coffee with a friend and just having a casual conversation, which is great. That's totally what I was aiming for. So. That sounds awesome. And so the basis for Money Honey, when you, when you decided that you wanted to write this, I guess it was kind of like a, a culmination of all the different things that you learned along the way that you were helping people with and you decided, okay, I want to put this down on paper so I can start giving it to people to, to read and, and learn from. When you did that process, were there any challenges that you faced when you were not only writing the book, but learning your process? Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, I did more things wrong than I did right, for sure. What, what was like your top challenge, like the biggest challenge you had? The biggest challenge I had is that at first it was really fun writing this book. I was very excited. Four months in though, I did a complete mental 180. And by that time, I was telling myself things like, who do you think you are, Rachel, to write a book on finance? You're a young woman who's going to listen to you. Your writing is crap. It's going to be embarrassing. I mean, Clearly, I was being very nice to myself. But you, have great, I was, self, you have great self-esteem. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. I was like so overcome with self-doubt that I quit writing the book. I quit oh, no. writing Money, Honey. I had no intention of ever picking it back up again. So what made you pick it back up and finish the book? That's I got to know this. Yeah. So luckily, I sat down and I had lunch with a friend and I sort of confessed to her what I had been working on. And she said, Rachel, you have to finish what you set out to do. I can tell you're really onto something here. And she gave me just enough encouragement and reassurance that I decided to pick it back up and keep working on it. And at the end of the day, I told myself, if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. I wasn't out to make a quick money grab. And I think if I was, people would have seen right through that and it wouldn't have done as well. But it was just something I was passionate about doing and I just truly wanted to help people. So who, what's your friend's name? Her name's Lindsay. Lindsay, I'm gonna, thank I'm gonna you see so her much. in a few weeks. Yeah, thank you, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, thank you for helping her, man. Because if it wasn't for you, she probably would have given up. Yeah. And so you mentioned that there were some pitfalls that you that you faced here and, and that she helped you through them. And 
You also mentioned in, by writing your book that there were a lot of misconceptions that people make with the whole get rich quick schemes and people trying to make money really quick. And I agree with you. Like part of the reason I wrote my book was to tell people, no, don't follow a millionaire's advice because it's, you can't duplicate what they did. It was a one-time deal. They got lucky in some industry. And so I, I like, I appreciate what you said about, you know, writing something that is actionable, something that people can actually do. Now you did mention you had a lot of challenges, but you also said you made a lot of mistakes. What was your top number one mistake that you made that you wish if you could have a time machine and go back and correct that mistake, what would it be? And how would you have fixed it? How would you have avoided it? Um, it's hard to even pick because there's so many, but pro- the top had, There has to be a big one, yeah. I would say is the fact that I designed my own book cover initially. It's now been redesigned. What you're seeing behind me is, is a better cover. But I was, I was just trying to be too frugal. I was trying to be way too cheap. And you know, I'm a, a frugal-minded person. I didn't want to spend a bunch of money. And I didn't know if I was going to even make back you know, the $600 that I put into the launch of this book. So I was like, I don't want to lose any more than that. Um, but in hindsight, it just, it didn't look good. You could tell it was a self-published book. And so last year I ended up doing a second edition and I relaunched it with a whole new cover and it looks a hundred times better. It does look really nice. I like the colors. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, I noticed you mentioned that you worked with some virtual assistants, possibly even some employees. I'm curious, like one of the biggest things that people seem to grapple with is how to not only get people to work for them, like people that they can rely on, of course, and how to manage them. Cause that's difficult. I've been through this for years and I know it's hard to do. So what were some of the ups and downs managing employees or virtual assistants? I, so I have two virtual assistants now, but I'm looking to hire more people. And the thing I've realized is that being too frugal can be a weakness and that's, it's held me back in a lot of ways because you know, I tend to be a control freak and a perfectionist and I'm like, I'll save money. I'll just do it all on my own. But I'm not able to grow my business if I'm doing everything. So it took me a while to understand even in the first place that, oh yeah, I do need to hire people. I do need people to help me. Um, the best way that I've found people is, is by word of mouth. So asking for a recommendation of like, who's a really, really good virtual assistant. And also just recognizing the people in my pot platform that are really passionate about finance, really love you know me and my brand, and they're adding value to other people on my platform. Those people can sometimes be a great hire as well. So are you recommending for entrepreneurs or people who are starting businesses to do that faster, to like hire people quicker, or should they still be doing what, what I teach, which is, uh, you know, how to do things on your own first and get it to a position where you really can't go any further because you've already gotten as far as you can. And then you start hiring people. What, what do you recommend? I I agree with you. I think DIY is always the best because that's the only way you're going to learn and and understand how your business operates and then be able to teach it to somebody else. I think most people have the opposite problem I have. My problem is I wait too long to spend money and to hire people. I think most people probably spend money too quickly and where, where they really need to think about what are my revenues right now and can I justify this expense? And if I spend money on this, how much revenue will this generate? Is it going to generate revenue? So just kind of thinking through those things and being a little bit more intentional before hiring somebody, I think can save people from a lot of mistakes. Yeah. And it sounds like you really have a financial kind of outlook on everything, which is why you're a financial expert, but uh, saying that you have to put like a budgetary kind of, you know, concern towards hiring people. 
revenue, monetization, you know, how, where's your break-even point and things like that. I like that. And that's really cool. Let's switch gears a minute and talk about something that I discuss almost daily with entrepreneurs, which is um, figuring out your unique value proposition or a core value proposition. What differentiates yourself, your business, your idea, your concept from others in the market? And I know you're an expert at this. So I want to hear your take on how to do that. Yeah, Jason, and I'm glad you bring this up because I cannot emphasize the importance of this enough and not enough new business owners think through this exercise of what is my unique value proposition. For Money Honey, I kind of already explained it. It was taking this topic, making it sassy, fun, simple. No one had done that before, let alone like a young female. So I did have a unique value proposition out of the gate, but you really need to think to yourself, what, whatever you're offering, book, course, service, why would someone buy your book over the thousands of books that are already out there? What makes yours different? Or another way to look at it is where is there a hole in the market? Where is there a problem? And how can you solve that problem for people? If you can't articulate the answers to those questions, you're going to have a really tough time selling whatever your product is. And you sound just like me, gaps in the market, pain points, solving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's really, what I always tell people is if, you, if you're coming up with the same issue in your daily life, if you're running your business, that's a pain point. If you, if you find, uh, if you're looking for a book on a specific topic and you can't find it, that's a gap in the market, right? So th that's really a good way to look at it as well. And when it comes to the core value proposition and like you said, offering services, whether it's a course, a book, you know, maybe a YouTube channel or a podcast or a blog, you mentioned something online that I noticed that said giving value first and then selling services later. So tell, tell me a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, for sure. I, I just think the most effective way to network and to market is to do exactly that. Giving value first, asking for something in return later. So here's an example. When I was preparing for the launch of Money Honey, I was very engaged in a couple Facebook groups. Facebook groups where female millennials were engaged and hanging out. Every so often a finance question would come up and I would jump on. I'd, be, I'd say, hey, I'm Rachel. I'm a former financial advisor. Here's what I think. I type out a long, helpful response. Now, no one knew me back then. I didn't have a platform. But after doing that enough times, people started recognizing me as this expert. So when someone would ask a finance question, other people in these groups would be like, they would tag me. They would say, hey, you need to ask Rachel or, or hey, Rachel's your girl. So I gained this credibility and this clout in these Facebook groups. And so by the time I decided to launch Money Honey and I told these people about this idea, they were like, oh my gosh, yes, I would love to read a book from you. You make this so simple and easy to understand. Now imagine if I had done it in the reverse and I just started going into these groups and dropping links and trying to sell my stuff. People wouldn't have trusted me. People wouldn't know who I was. They wouldn't want to read the book. So it, it, you're almost hurting yourself if you do it that way. But if you add value first and you're really seeking to help people, they'll want to buy your products from you. I agree hundred percent. As a matter of fact, most entrepreneurs, as you can, as, as you probably know as well, is they're always looking for investors, right? They're always looking for funding. They're always looking for people to buy their stuff. And I always tell them investors are much better at giving feedback and advice than money. So ask for that. And then you might gain a relationship with them. And when it comes to people out in the world, uh, the more you help them, the more information you give them, the more, like you said, credibility you give them, the more they'll rely on you. And then later they'll probably hire you for something or buy one of your products. So that's really good, good advice. Now I like to always tell people what the best parts of being an entrepreneur is 
right? And so we always talk about like what we do for a living and, you know, how we help people. But what are the perks that you find as being an entrepreneur, working for yourself? Like, what do you find like the best parts of it? There's, oh my gosh, there's so many great parts. And not, <laughs> not only am I, am I an entrepreneur, but I'm also financially independent. And so there's a lot of overlapping benefits. So for example, the freedom. I can set my own hours. I can work when, where, and if I want. But the best part to me about being an entrepreneur is that I can make money off of something that I am truly passionate about. This, this fulfills me completely. I mean, I could work a 12-hour day and be like, oh, that was so great. I helped so many people, women and, and young people, and, and feel like it wasn't even work. It's just fun. So I love that part about it. And just getting the feedback from people. I get emails from readers all over the world now or, or Instagram messages that say, you know, thank you. Your books have changed my life. I've paid off this debt. I've done this. And there's nothing more rewarding than that. You, you said uh, you could work a 12-hour day and love every second of it because you realize you weren't even working. And that's yeah. one of my favorite Confucius sayings is choose a job you love and you never work a day ever again. Or a day mm. ever, you know, So yes. you know, I, I, I feel the same way. I feel like every day I wake up and I'm not really working. I'm just doing what I love. And that's really a good way to look at it. And unfortunately, most people can't say the same. So maybe that's a reason why people need to kind of take a risk, right? Take a chance and venture out into the world of entrepreneurship. What would be your top three reasons or top three things that people should do if they're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur or thinking about starting a business? What are the first top three things they should think about before doing it or that they should learn about before taking the plunge? Yes. Number one is the unique value proposition. You have to understand that before anything else. Number two, you need to understand your target audience. So being the more specific, the better. When I wrote Money, Honey, it was, this, it was as if I was writing it to a specific individual. I was envisioning basically my best friend, a 25-year-old female, single, you know, not married yet, didn't have kids yet, making 40 to 50 grand a year. I'm, I remember writing this out on an actual page of what my avatar was. And I wrote my book for that person. And because it's so specific, it really, it, it ends up just speaking to a more general audience. So that's the second thing. And then I would say the third thing is, don't, don't just take a leap of faith and expect that the net will appear. What I mean by that is don't just quit your job and, and decide to start a business. It, that's a very financially risky move. And you never want to be in a place where you're operate, operating out of pressure and desperation. And that's what happens when you don't have that safety net of your job. So another way to look to consider doing it is to treat it as a side hustle at first, make sure you can really monetize it, make sure it's a stable income and that you get it to a place financially where you can then feel comfortable quitting your job. That's that last point is hits it on the head because 99% of entrepreneurs think their idea is worth a billion dollars out of the gate. And they don't want to hear it, right? They're wearing rose-colored glasses and they think that they're going to hit it out of the park and they are disappointed and they lose a lot of time and a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Speaking of money, honey, um, <laughs> I want to hear some financial advice because you're a financial expert, right? There's a lot of people, and I've heard this from people, you and I are financially independent, we're good, but most people are not, right? So what would be something you would tell someone that says maybe that they can't get ahead of the curve? Like someone who might say something like, I can't seem to get out of this hole. I can never seem to buy a house. I can never seem to get out of debt. I'm always kind mm -hmm. of behind. And how do I get ahead? How do I get ahead of these mountains of bills? How do I buy a house? You know, how, what, what would you say to these people? Because there, there's a lot of them out there. 
Yeah, for sure. It's it's tough to climb out of that situation. Or if you're living paycheck to paycheck, that's a tough situation. So what I've realized over time, you know, I, I'll sometimes ask in workshops, hey, what sorts of things will you do to save up money quickly? If there's an emergency, what will you do? People will say, I will, I'll stop eating out. I'll cook at home. I'll stop shopping online. What I notice is that there's a common theme and that's that we're focused on decreasing our expenses first and foremost, which is great. That's very important. But you are limited in how much you can decrease your expenses. You can't stop paying your mortgage. You can't stop paying your car insurance. So there's only so much you can do. What I realized is that people have two levers to increase their savings. They can either decrease their expenses or they can increase their income. And the beautiful thing about increasing your income is that there's no cap on how much money you can make. There's nothing stopping you from making more money. So if you really want to get ahead and make aggressive progress, you'll do both. You'll decrease your expenses and you'll increase your income. I mean, sounds like a no brainer. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, it sounds like a simple thing, but then when you sit back and think about it, a lot of us just, they only focus on the expense side of things. Right. So then it's like, if you really start to think about how you can generate income, side hustle income, active income, passive income, that's when you can start making really good progress. Right. We're talking about somebody who spends too much on their bills, like someone who has like a $200 cable bill, for example. Well, cut that bill right there. And then not only that, but then maybe drive for Uber Eats on the weekends for an extra $200. So you actually offset it $400, right? Exactly. Because you're, you're exactly. going backwards 200 and forwards 200. Yeah. So that's yeah. not a bad idea. So double down basically is what you're saying. Double down mm -hmm. on the decrease, but also the increase. And you can make exponentially more money then you can cut your expenses. So it's just do both. <laughs> I like it. Now, during this process, this is the part where people tend to, you know, when they're halfway through, like you said, do a side hustle, keep your day job, try something, but it fails, right? Or you, you hit a wall. Like you said, you stopped writing your book because you, you had these problems and you didn't think you could finish it what made you keep going? Like, what would you say to someone who's about to throw in the towel? They had enough, they're losing everything, nothing's working, they can't seem to get off the ground, and they're going to give up. What would you do to get through it? What did you do to get through it? Besides your friend, Lindsay, right? Mm -hmm. What would you say to this entrepreneur? Get up, keep going, and why? What would, what would you, what, what's your advice? There's a few things. Someone told me this acronym, I don't remember who, but that FAIL stands for First Attempt in Learning. And I love that. So when you think about a mistake or a failure, whatever you want to call it, if you can just look at it as, okay, good. That's one more thing that I, I, I can eliminate. It didn't work. I'm getting closer to the thing that's going to work. If you can look at it that way, it, it actually feels like you're making progress rather than that you failed. So that's one thing. It's just having a different mindset around it. Um, and then the other thing, and specifically with my situation where I stopped writing my book and, you know, Lindsay encouraged me. Another thing that I told myself to help me go through with it is that, hey, at the end of the day, I don't need to publish this. No one needs to read it, but I sure am going to finish writing the book. I'm going to at least do that for myself. So I think if you, if you can find a way to sort of take that pressure off yourself, I think it can help you at least get through to completing that project that you're working on. That is not a bad way to look at it. You know, I, I write screenplays and make movies and other creative things, making songs and things like that. And one of the things I learned over the years, which it does take time to get this through your thick skull sometimes, is to not do it for the money, right? Mm. Do it for the enjoyment of the process of the end result, but enjoy the journey as well. Like, like you mentioned, if, if you like something and you enjoy doing it, don't do it with the goal of, oh, I'm going to sell this to people. 
do it with the intention, like I'm doing it because I enjoy it. And then you'll have an end result. Oh, now you're proud. You have an achievement. You have a milestone. You can celebrate that goal. So I love it. Speaking yes. of goals, I want to hear your words of wisdom and thoughts on inspiration for entrepreneurs out there who want to be like you and what you would tell them to reach their dreams. Well, I, I love this question. And I would say it's so easy to hold yourself back for so many different reasons. I held myself back from investing in real estate because I was young. I was, you know, I was too young. I didn't have enough money. I didn't have enough experience. But looking back, you're never going to be at a point where you're 100% ready. That's just, that's just not going to happen. That's unrealistic. So once I accepted the fact that, okay, I will make mistakes. I will have failures along the way. It's not going to be perfect. That was a hard thing for my perfectionist self to admit. But once I just accepted that as reality, it gave me the courage to move forward. So there's this quote by Zig Ziglar that I love. And he said, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. I love it. That's a great quote. Yeah. There's a lot of good quotes out there. You got some good ones. I like it. <laughs> so what's the call to action for, for people to check out your stuff? Is it moneyhoneyrachel.com? Do you have anything else you want to tell people? Yeah, I appreciate that. What I'd love to do, Jason, for your listeners is if anyone wants to download my passive income starter kit, I will give that for free. So they can go to moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. This guidebook is going to tell them how to do the things that are impossible to do, basically. Yeah. So it's a starter kit. It's just a, um, a few pages worth of kind of resources, materials, lists of things. It, it goes along with my second book about passive income, okay. but it lists out everything in the book. So it's kind of like a sneak peek. Love it. Moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus, and you will get that starter kit. Thanks again for coming to my podcast. I appreciate it, Rachel. Thank you, Jason. Thanks for listening. If you learned something in today's episode, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. You can learn more about me at jasonsherman.org. Don't forget to pick up a copy of my book, also called Strap on Your Boots, on Amazon. And if you want to dive even deeper into the world of entrepreneurship, I suggest you sign up for my course called Startup Essentials on udemy.com. Also, you can support this podcast by leaving me a positive review and also by visiting patreon.com slash strap on your boots to become a member and get bonus material. See you in next week's episode.